What's up, Gasol Education Nation? Today's episode is brought to you by The Payday Practice and our good friends Jeff Langmaid and Jason Deach. So how would South Gooden, Gary V, and Tim Ferriss create a chiropractic practice? The answer is in this book right here. So our good friends Jeff Langmange and Jason Deach, uh, they created the payday practice to basically show you how you cover your monthly expenses in one day every month. Guaranteed, generating monthly recurring revenue in your practice can create financial freedom, eliminate chronic financial stress, and turn the first day of each month from, damn, it's time to start over, to payday. Get a free copy today at www.thepaydaypractice.com. The Payday Practice will show you the exact step-by-step process that you can use to generate monthly recurring revenue in your practice. Get your free copy today at www.thepaydaypractice.com. Right, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Gestalt Education Show. Uh, today we are in Overland Park, Kansas, our favorite weekend of the year with our favorite Super Bowl weekend. That's right, Super Bowl weekend for for adjusting seminars, the Motion Palpation Adjustathon. So uh, there's no one rather that we'd be rather sitting down with than Mark King, the president of Motion Palpation Institute, both of our biggest mentors. And uh, Mark, thanks for sitting down with us today. So uh, today we're going to talk about Mark's favorite things: adjusting systems practice management, I don't know, all this, all the good stuff, all right? So talk to me about your your first entryway or your first uh, gateway drug into motion palpation. Well, it was interesting because uh, I'm so old that the uh, motion palpation really was just be, just coming to the United States and one of our uh, professors at the chiropractic college went to Belgium to hang out with uh, Henry Gillet and he went there and came and a couple of his buddies and they just came back all jacked up about what they learned while they were in uh, uh, Brussels in Belgium and so he came back and we literally my second quarter at school we started uh, a motion palpation club and I just remember being in that club and thinking I have no idea what's going on but these guys seem really smart and they're enthusiastic I'm gonna hang in here for a while with it and I'm obviously glad I did but that was really the beginning Faye, Dr. Faye was just beginning to bring it to the to uh, the US and Dr. Gillet was obviously the big deal too so they got to meet him and hang out with him and, and they just came back jacked up about it Dr. Well, Baxter was Dr. Garber, Steve Garber, who taught for a short time with MPI and was the uh, motion palpation instructor at school and a, a, a mentor of mine, a real favorite person of mine, uh, is the, one of the ones who brought it, brought it to the States. Well, the interesting backstory was this was all at Life University. Correct. Yes. So and my guess was there was not a dynamic model going on at that time? Uh, absolutely not. And uh, actually, at that time, Dr. Fay and Dr. Williams, our, our school president, was they were very unhappy with each other is a good way to say it. They were bickering because, uh, let's face it, Dr. Williams had a, had a, a kind of a philosophical approach to chiropractic, a, um, yeah, a philosophical approach uh, to, to, that, to chiropractic. And, and Dr. Fay, while he was philosophically strong, he was very much uh, trying to make it more scientific and kind of get us to be more scientifically and clinically oriented. So it was, uh, they were definitely uh, butting heads. And you uh, had actually brought John Minnell, the father of joint play, to the your school, hadn't you, or to the club? Absolutely, or yeah. yeah. We brought him a couple times because he was living at that point. Uh, he was in uh, North Carolina, and and so we brought him down. And he was just a very interesting man, super super bright, 
and we kind of had it in our head a little bit that he was more uh, a little bit more the extremities uh, master when it came to joint play, and uh, Dr. Gillet was a little bit more the spine master. But they were, it was definitely both. Um, so Dr. Manel was just a fascinating character, and we learned so much from him. He was actually a master at the spine, too, and just like Dr. Gillet was a master at the extremities, but we had a little bit in our head that that's where they were categorized. But we would bring them to school for a weekend seminar, and they were just fascinating to learn from. And I know some people are going, like, uh, you know, Dr. Manel's passed many years ago, Dr. Gillet many years ago. But I was in school over 35 years ago. Th these guys were the real deal, and they were uh, great people to learn from. Did you have a lot of resistance with trying to run this club with the dynamic model at your school at life? Uh, no, they kind of just ignored us. It, uh, <laughs> I think they just didn't know what they didn't know. And, <laughs> no threat. <laughs> yeah, no, they just didn't understand it. Uh, and we had a the Motion Palpation Club was huge for for our school then. Yeah, and we just had amazing student leaders uh, who were that that followed Dr. Garber, and there was a bunch of a bunch of different. Uh, other uh, students who kept the club going just like we do today and they were just super smart guys and then they just passed it down to us and we kept it going from there well what's cool is your story is similar to a lot of ours you know like you you get infatuated by this dynamic model or by these people you know for me it was brett and corey and yourself and then that's what fuels the club at these different schools and so that's really kind of the bedrock of motion palpation institute right now is the clubs is at all the chiropractic schools these clubs growing you have people such as myself peter roy's in here who's a who is a, a rep at palmer we have we're getting ready for a rep meeting right now for before the adjustathon and so uh did you envision or you know as I, I know that you were kind of a little detached after school before you took over as presidents but did you ever envision that the clubs would be this uh driving force for motion palpation or, or was it was it where did that fit into the yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah, I had no idea. I mean, it was just was the club at school, and I went there because I liked the people, and then eventually I became an officer in the club, and so I kept. then I got to teach, which I think is a great way to learn, and then I went into private practice, and I would take MPI classes, and, you know, one or two or three a year, and I did that for a few years, and eventually I started hounding them to let me teach there, and eventually I beat them down to the point they let me start teaching. I actually taught my first class in 1994 in uh, – Minneapolis with the Northwestern students mostly wow. and and then I kind of took off from there and I didn't take over as president until 2001 uh, and, and initially I, I had uh, Dr. Seaman and Dr. Elder were on the board with me and then eventually they stepped down and then I brought Dr. Campbell and Dr. Winchester on and and we've been the board now I don't know how many years uh, geez yeah, a long time yeah for quite a while I'm yeah. That's yeah. I don't know how long, but we won't talk about that. Pretty long. We won't talk about that. I was two when you took over and started teaching <laughs> yeah. too. But you know that, the, that doesn't matter. The clubs, and one of the things I I, I just really like. I, I always emphasize this that I just really like being around these these students, these young, really smart people. We played a little golf thing today, and I was with three other just super bright students who just want to be good docs and good people. And and I just it's really helpful for me, I think, to stay around these young people and all their ideas. And uh, I just enjoy it, quite frankly. And it was a fun little golf outing. I like teaching the classes. It's a good mix uh, with my private practice. So I, it, it, I think it helps keep me young and it keeps me on, on top of things. So the clubs, though, the, the, the thing about the clubs is that it, it be, they become kind of their own entities, each school, because the, the leaders of the club, um, get, they get to teach and they develop relationships with their students. 
And it's just a great way for everyone to learn. And there's great camaraderie. And I say over and over again, you are, you are smarter if you're around smart people. It helps be around the good people. If you want to get better at whatever, tennis, play good tennis players. If you want to be a better chiropractor, hang out with smart people. And I, this sounds arrogant, but MPI tends to attract really bright people to what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I think MPI, too, it fills voids in the education at the different colleges. You know, like where, you know, we can argue that maybe some of the colleges aren't as strong as they could be, maybe because of passing boards or whatever the reasons might be. The clubs have really done a really good job of like kind of filling in those gaps that the chiropractic colleges are kind of either not able to do or aren't doing. Well, you've run, read some of the same books that I've read about uh, being the best at something. And if you're not continuously trying to get better, then you get worse. So for the rest of your career, uh, Dr. Premers fairly early on in practice, but if you don't continue to do what you do now, maybe you don't have to do it quite the pace you do now, but let's just say if you don't continue to try to improve, you'll get worse. I mean, that's not my opinion. That's just the, the research states it very clearly. So, you know, surround yourself with people that can help you get better and, you know, take it from there. What about Mark? I know uh, even since since I started going to API seminars, it's evolved. It's continued to evolve. So what would you maybe say to uh, docs that have, have gone to an MPI seminar 10 years ago compared to now? Like what, what do they expect when they come to an MPI seminar now? And, and what are the kind of maybe the current thoughts of motion palpations do? Okay, so I get these comments all the time from docs. They take the class and they always say how much how glad they were. They, they said there were so many things that I've been letting slip by. I haven't been as thorough with my evaluation. I, I need to check that on my patient on Monday because I haven't been doing it. Oh, I didn't think of that with these patients. You can't help. It's human nature. You get sloppy. Maybe that's too harsh of a word, but you get sloppy in your approach because you're doing it, you're in the grind. And if you don't have somebody to say, you know, you really should check whatever, that subtalar joint for those patients with knee pain, you maybe you forget. It, you know, there's a reason the knee is, is bothered and, and a dysfunctional subtalar joint might be the driver. So if you know how to do it, like these motion about patient people, do, they get in, they do it quick and they, they, and they move on. So it refreshes their mind and it gives them, the other thing they say all the time is it gives them a burst of energy about being in private practice. Because again, you start doing the same thing over and over again, it can get a little mundane. And if you're constantly learning and, and, and refining it, you don't get bored. Mm -hmm. That's exactly, that's one thing Brett and I talk about all the time. It's kind of been a common theme of our podcast too is constant learning allows you to, to not get burnt out, to not, you know, a lot of our friends, even my friends, are not in practice anymore because they got burnt out, because they didn't want to do this anymore. And so continuing to be around good people prevents that, if you will. So what about what's the what's the current structure of the seminars? What, what seminars are, are MPI hosting and, and where do you kind of see that evolving or, or what's the future in, in that situation? So our concept is, and this is a thing that Dr. Winchester pushed hard for us a few years back, was this concept that let's let's produce the best palpators and adjusters in the world. And that'll be the, the big focus for MPI, our number one focus, I should say. But we're not naive about this just because we do We know that there's going to be integration. If you followed around any MPI instructor, they don't just walk in palpated adjust and walk out. They, they do, maybe they have a, a MDT or DNS bent, or maybe they're really good at ART, whatever it is. They, and, they, and they incorporate these other things in with their practice. So we want to make sure we help people integrate these other things into their practice. So 
we have our integration class, literally we call them our integration classes. We have obviously our MPI spine, our MPI extremities are our foundational classes, but we have these integration classes where we incorporate some of the low tech rehab um, into our classes. Now, when it comes to rehab, we all have our bias. Uh, my bias is toward DNS. I, I, I would say, tell, I mean, I've probably taken 15 DNS classes over the last few years. Just love it as from a rehab standpoint, it really creates a foundation for me of, hey, the direction I'm gonna, do, gonna go. There, but you can do the same thing with your soft tissue work or whatever. But my point is that um, how are you going to integrate that into your practice? How do you, does your model work? And I emphasize to people, you can't do six different things to every patient every time they come in. It's not practical. You've got to do this great exam. Narrow down what you're going to do and focus on that. If they're a patient that responds to end range loading or you know they have uh, soft tissue adhesions or you know they're uh, an instability case, do the appropriate treatment. If they're an instability case, do your rehab. If, they're, if they have uh, mobility problems, you need to adjust them and it helps if you know how to do that. So with that great exam, you put them into the right category, then you do the proper treatment. But MPI is one of your tools. I, I, I don't, sometimes I, uh, people might think that we think that's the beginning and the end. No, it's one of your tools. It just creates such a, a foundation. And I say over and over again, the world wants what we do, for, meaning what chiropractors do, this manipulation thing, this adjustment thing. Uh, I use the word adjustment in my office, but whatever term you want to use, my point is, is the world loves what we're doing. We have an opioid crisis in this country, unlike other countries. We need to move away from that dependence on that on those drugs, for example, not that people never need opioids. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying there's so many people addicted. Friends of ours just had a, a young guy die the other day, last week, uh, overdosed on fentanyl. It, you know, and he got hooked of course on a prescription first and then went to harder stuff my point i'm getting at here is the world needs what we do and there are there there's advantages if you become really good at it the world finds out about you and it makes it easier to build your practice which i think we're we're in a perfect spot or time to be a chiropractor right now so you know, we always use the term the contemporary chiropractor where we're mixing and matching all the things you just mentioned, but also we forget about that opioid crisis and we're basically chiropractors are like in a perfect place to uh, take this on. Interesting, somebody just sent me an article the other day about this gel that they can put into a knee to replace the meniscus. And I said, you know, the interesting article, but they didn't mention that the 80% of those meniscus tears are gonna improve without surgery anyway. So why not go to the chiropractor, go to the physical therapist, go to the acupuncturist, go to the conservative care people first? Yeah, those gel things are awesome. But they're always, it's always uh, moving toward more, quite frankly, more drugs, more surgery, where we are mo always moving toward more conservative care. Why can't we try that first? And then if it doesn't work, then we do the, 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 the gel, this new gel um, pad that they're gonna try and do for some of these meniscus problems. So to Brett's point, Wow, the world is primed for it. I hope the truth wins out because financially, we're much less expensive. It works much better for society if they see people like us first and, and save the more dr dramatic stuff for, the, for when absolutely needed. We kind of have a weird moment in our profession though where the cost of going to chiropractic school is going up. What, what the average chiropractic income is going down and usually those two things don't work in a business model or an economics so uh, what, what do you how does that correct itself over the future is that a problem for us moving forward uh, it is absolutely a problem now I, I get your point 
One of the things that's happening in the PT world, <clears throat> they have more uh, kind of acceptance within the medical community, right? Uh, if you go to PT school, you come out with big debt also. And they, have a, they start off actually higher income than the average chiropractor, average to average, right? Average DC to average PT. But their ceiling is much lower. It's much harder. And, and that's why you'll see very few 50-year-old male PTs in day-to-day -day clinical practice. What you see with them a lot of times is they own 10 clinics or they're selling for a, a medical supply company or they figured out some way to get out of the day-to-day -day because they don't make enough money. Now, lots of chiropractors don't make enough money either, but a lot of you do have a much higher ceiling. The amount of money that the, that the really successful chiropractor makes versus the really successful PT, the chiropractors make more. So they have a similar problem. They borrow too much money. They go to school for forever too. They go four years of undergrad, <coughs> excuse me, and then three years of PT school. And, and I'm very, I, I know very intimately what, how this all works because we, work, we have a couple of really good DPTs working in our office. And I know what these various people make. And so what I'm saying is, is that right now it's a big problem. Will it shake out over time? I hope so, because they, otherwise they're gonna choose, people are going to choose less and less to go to PT and chiropractic school. And we actually need more of those conservative care people. But if you're going to do the conservative care, you have to uh, pay them. In medicine, what happens is the primary care guys, the internal medicine family practice guys, they don't make nearly as much as the hardcore specialists, radiologists, dermatologists, cardiologists, orthopedic uh, or neurosurgeon uh, groups. They make more. And really, why, sh why should they? Now you say, well, they go to school an extra year or two, whatever. Okay, but the, the, it's way, it's a big difference in, in uh, annual income. And if you want to bring costs down, you got to you got to have the conservative guys uh, seeing more of the people. Yeah, exactly right. The uh, you and I, we we both do a lot of state associations, and we always have like kind of side conversations about. You know, where you, you go to these conventions and you get around other people, people have been at this for a while, and honestly, they're just not very good at palpating and adjusting. Why do you think that is? I mean, it's so ironic to me. You know, we're all chiropractors. Why does there feel like there's such a gap sometimes? Do you it's think just so mind-bending to me that when I see that, I just, oh. And, and, and Corey Campbell always uses this term, intrinsically motiva motivated. Uh, and he's like, you know, obviously the poster child for an intrinsically motivated <laughs> dude. But... Um, I, I just don't know. Dr. Fay will sometimes uh, tongue-in-cheek say, you know, raise your hand if you went to chiropractic school to be mediocre, right? And, of course, uh, yeah, I didn't go there. But a lot of people are mediocre, and I'm just amazed. Our number one tool, now, if you said to me, oh, I'm not that good at palpating it just because I run a nutrition practice or, you know, functional medicine, or I, I only do DNS, or I'm, I'm an ART expert, okay, I, that argument I, at least makes sense to me. But just because you, you don't do, your primary tool is palpate and adjust, and you're quite frankly not good at that, I, I just can't quite understand how, what, you know, what I always say, what do you do all day? Mm -hmm. Do you just put people on muscle stim, which, you know, that's, you know, great, good, that just makes no sense to me. Right. right. So I need a better answer than I just gave you, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm always confused by that. Well, the, I mean, it's almost like our profession at times has an identity crisis. You know, we have, this evidence-based group uh, that we're in, but part of it that uh, it's almost like they would, they're almost more personal trainers than they are chiropractors. So it's kind of a weird trend we've noticed in the last 10 years. And 
I, I want the doctors to be able to know how to swing a kettlebell and things like that, but I don't necessarily know that that's great for the future probably of what we're, what we're doing. So how important do you think it is that chiropractor remains a primary care physician and, and those thoughts? Well, I don't know if I understand completely what you're, what you're asking. Um, but going back to what I said before, because the world so badly wants this manual care stuff, and I don't mean just adjustments, they want like your soft tissue technique, and I mentioned DNS, and I mentioned MDT, those are all great tools for people. The world wants what, all, all that manual care stuff so much that uh, there's just an endless supply of work available for us. If we're just out there giving and serving and loving our patients, then it's just an endless supply of patients out there for us. Now, I know a lot of people are still building their practices, and so I'm not, I, I was building my practice too. I understand how that works. But th there's just such a big need for us out there um, that we, we talk a lot about, you know, you mentioned the personal trainer thing. I don't necessarily want to compete with chiropractors, physical therapists, personal trainers, the guy with big, big muscles at the gym, uh, whoever, lots of people can teach you how to do a, do a bench press, right? But not everybody can do what I can do. So I want to keep that foundationally because I know that lots of people can bench press or teach it. Uh, maybe they can teach a proper deadlift, but you get my point. It's not easy to be able to do what we do from a from a manual care standpoint, and and I incorporate these other things. I yeah, don't want exactly. people to think that I'm just doing that all day. I'm, I incorporate all these other things. I'm just saying that it gives us a unique gift mm -hmm. in in the world, and there's a big big demand for it. That's right. I don't know if I answered that question. No, you did good. No, you. Did. I just think the trend that we've noticed in the last ten years is it's almost like it's not in vogue or cool to be doing the manual therapy. And of course that pendulum just swings back and forth. So I, see. I yeah. just think it's kind of dangerous, you know, that, you know, cause I mean, the, like you said, I mean, the world is basically clamoring for manual therapy too. So in a perfect world, we can blend manual therapy in with therapeutic exercise and all the different modalities you mentioned before. But in an attempt to do that sometimes, then people, they don't get good with their hands. They don't take the time to get good with an adjustment. And, you know, we always debate on whether that is, you know, it was even different when you went to school. But when I went to school, it was basically MPI adjusting, ART, and some low-tech rehab. And that was it. Now, I mean, there's so much competition out there. I think it's hard for a student to kind of decide, like, you know, what what route they're going to go and they right, end up right. doing 50 things and right. nothing very well. So when I graduated from school, there was palpation adjusting and then there was, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> so exercise meant go do some sit-ups. Nutrition meant be a vegetarian. Um, soft tissue, dear God, you would never do that. You know, why would you rub the light switch after you turned it on? Um, what was the other one? Oh, uh, McKenzie, for example, uh, back when Robin McKenzie was run, that's what PTs do. We're not going to do that. You know what I mean? Like it made, we just, we were very limited. So you definitely learned how to palpate and adjust because you didn't have a lot of other things to do. To your point, Brett, is that yes, now it's gone too far where what you do, and I was just talking to one of our reps earlier, like you just get to suck at everything. You do, you do eight things, six things, whatever. And you're just okay at all of them. Well, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, uh, and I always talk about, I, you, some of you heard me say this before, but Dr. Leahy was getting interviewed, I think by, uh, I'm almost sure it was you guys. And he, you asked him, what would you tell students? And he said, be good at something. And he said, you know, become really good at something. And his idea is ART, right? Our idea is palpate and adjust. And MDT says MDT and DNS says DNS. But 
But his point was so spot on. Become great at something and then add these other things. And again, we, we are biased at MPI toward palpate and adjust, but become great at something. There are levels and just like you don't get to become the best golfer or wrestler or whatever without you know taking those steps. So uh, yeah, I say take advantage of that. that don't suck at six different things. I, I took a long time saying that, but don't suck at six different things. You were one of the first people to run a successful, uh, not just a rehab practice, but a, a practice that's encompass, encompassing all these different modalities. So you're able to make money at it, be successful, whereas a lot of people have not been able to do that. Um, and so what do you think, what were some of the things that uh, got you down that path and how were you able to find financial success in doing this model that we're that we're speaking of, so I kept just studying and kept learning, and I kept you know hang, hanging around people like you guys, and I would keep learning more, and I would take a, you know, I took an ART class, I God, twenty years, twenty five years ago, I don't know how long ago it was. I, I've like I said, I've taken all those MDT classes, I've taken some uh, MD, I mean DNS class, I've taken the MDT class. I mean the the list goes on. I just kept taking classes, I kept learning more. I was like. Oh, that's why that patient didn't respond to what I was doing because I was missing it. So as I kept learning, I kept learning the value of it. But in practice, I'm still very much um, manual care focused. I do some soft tissue. I do my adjustment. I'll teach an exercise or two. I talk a lot about nutrition. But a lot of my patients need two or three times a week an hour of uh, physical therapy. I'm not doing that. I have actually DNS trained, uh, well, a lot more than just that. They do other stuff too, but really good DPTs in our office. I say, you're going to schedule with Dr. Sabach twice a week for a month and once a week for a month and learn how to move and learn how to man help manage this because you need more than just my manual care. And I'm not going to take an hour to do it with you. They're going to put you on a program and give you a home program. And so it was just the reason I kept doing it, uh, kept expanding this concept is I just kept learning. And then I had to learn how to do it in the pra in practice. So I don't do all the protocol that MDT does, for example. I get a quick bang for my buck or I move on. I always have the ace in my pocket. I can always uh, palpate and adjust these people. Uh, DNS, I'm going to limit it to, okay, we're going to teach you how to breathe today. Mr. Jones, that's the one thing. And I'm not going to teach him six different exercises on top of that. Time constraint. Uh, Dr. Satterley said it. He says, you're always looking at that clock. How many minutes do you have in your room with a patient? If you have an hour, then okay, you can take time and teach them six different exercises. I, my model would never work that way where I am. Or wouldn't, I don't know, it, it could work. I choose a different model. So, Well, you evolved to having DBTs and things like that. So, yes. I mean, you kind of... You did it all yourself probably originally, yes. then you're kind of building systems along the way, and then now this is where it's all culminating in. Right, and what happens though on some of the rehab stuff is you know you're not doing quite enough. You know that they're, the, uh, the time you have for those patients, you give them those two exercises, they're great. They've got to do more. And, and not to be mean, but you know there are motor morons who need more attention, more time, and they need to be in there with a physical therapist or, or whoever is well-trained, doesn't have to be a physical therapist, but it's somebody skilled is what I'm trying to say, and they need that time. I choose not to do that. For me, it's more interesting to do exams, do care plans, do my manual care stuff, and do limited of the other stuff, and then I have the referral sources within my same practice that I can refer them to, and that makes it, I think, allows me to give more comprehensive care. Mm -hmm. 
you said an interesting word there. We've talked about it too on the podcast, but care plans. I know that's one of your passions. So there's a little bit of a stigma around care plans when it comes to chiropractic, especially if we're talking about twice a week for two weeks and three times a week for blah, 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 blah for the rest of your life and stuff like that. Talk to me about your evolution with care plans and why you feel that's so important, especially in your practice. Well, the, the thing that happens, and a lot of us have this happen, I've heard a bunch of really sharp young docs say, I started out and I was doing, you know, I'd treat them two or three times and... You know, the line I always say is they got, oh, so they got 60% better, which means they're never coming back and they're never going to refer anybody and they don't think they got much better. So that's a terrible way to build a practice. People want a care plan. They actually want to plan it. They know they've had this problem for a while or that it's significant. They, you know, didn't come into you because they just had nothing else to do. Like, you know, we adjust each other. Hey, you know, can you adjust me real quick? It's one adjustment and we feel better. We like, you know, we like it and we go on, but it's your patients come in, they're screwed up. So they need a care plan. They need a game plan. I always use the analogy of he went to the oncologist and he said, you know, come back in a few weeks if you need to, or come back in a few months if you need to. Well, wait a minute, doc, what's the plan? And you're, you know, a little panicked. So with us, um, they want a plan too. And, and, and the, the thing is, my wife and I, who's a DC, also t talk about this. You give them a care plan. You know what they always say at the end? Because everyone's worried, well, what if they say no? What they always say at the end is, okay. Then let's get started. And they always say the same thing. Okay. And if they say, no, I, I don't want to do that, I'm going to be, well, that's what I got. I, I mean, I can't, I don't have anything else. I mean, I'm not, if I treat to once or twice or three times, I know what's going to happen. You're not going to get better. You're not going to come back and you're not going to refer. So no one ever says it though. They just say, okay. So the care plan thing is patient. First of all, patients want it. And it's just insecurity on our part when we think that I'm so good, I'm going to get them healed up in two visits. You know, maybe we, maybe they'll do that, but it's usually the 15-year-old high school tennis player that you, you're okay in two visits, right? The 50-year-old construction worker who's back pain for six years, I mean, you guys, you two are two of the best chiropractors on the planet. I send you that 50-year-old guy, I don't think you're fixing him in two visits. I mean, he might say, well, Doc, I like you, and I like those adjustments, that's really cool. But that you, we, to restore some kind of function for him to go back to his construction job, you need to do more than that. So I'm obsessed with it and have been for a while because, as you started to allude to on, on that, Taylor, is this idea that we overtreat. Well, that's our reputation. I don't. I think overtreating is terrible. I think undertreating is terrible too, though. Either one is terrible. Why not just do what you know is the right thing, and then you never feel like you have to sell. All you're doing, all you're doing is telling the truth. If you just tell the truth, I, am, I would be the world's worst salesman. If I ever felt like I had to sell, I'd be the worst. The only thing I do is tell them, well, this is, what, this is what I think. This is what I think we need to do, and let's get started. So then, and they can feel my sincerity because I'm not doing any kind of high-pressure sales. And I always give a, a, a reasonable three- or four-week care plan is, is typical. It varies a little bit depending on who it is. But at the end of three or four weeks, if they're not making any progress, I'm missing something, aren't I? I need an outside referral. I need a set of x-rays. I need an MRI. I need a blood test. I need something because they should be saying I'm making progress. And the line I use all the time is, Mr. Jones, does that make sense? I've treated you for three weeks, and you're telling me you're not better. And I'm saying to you, to me, that does not make sense. To you, you would say, that does not make sense. We need more information. We're going to take an x-ray. We're going to order an MRI. We're going to have doctor or whoever examine you. We're going to figure this out. But you're not, what I'm doing isn't working. So let's do something. Let's figure out why that's happening. So that was a long answer to the care plans. But my bottom line is, 
People want them. And if you want to get results, especially, and this is one of the things Dr. Winchester harps on all the time, is if you want to change some function, you're not doing that in two or three visits. You have to have some time. Mm -hmm. And going back to Dr. Fay, the said principle, the specific adaptation to an imposed demand, if you want to make some change, you have to do serial treatments. I think, too, what you used to tell me that was so helpful was some people are not going to be fixed. Some people just need to, they need their case managed well. And I think when you think of it that way, it, it really makes it easier to digest, like why you might need to see certain patients more. You're just, some, some cases have just, they're so chronic and they're so complex. They just don't have a fix. I say that to patients a lot. Mr. Jones, I'm never going to fix you. I'm sorry, but I don't think anyone else is. So those are my people that I have a lot of people that come in once or twice a month or whatever it is for the God forbid maintenance word <laughs> and um, preventative care. And, and uh, although research is starting to say, you know, let's face it, it's if you want to be healthier long term, maintenance care is a great thing. So, but they want to come back. I, again, terrible salesman. I'm not a hard sell on this. I'm a soft sell, and they just keep coming back. They just keep making appointments. So what am I going to do? I know that I help them get through the month. Do I fix them? No. And you say, well, you should send someone to fix them. Well, I don't know anywhere, anyone on the planet who knows how to fix some of these people. But I can keep them going. They can take care of their grandkids, or they can golf, or they can play on their high school team. Whatever it is, I can keep trying to help keep them going. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's kind of like a car that's 30 years old. You know, like if you buy a car that's 30 years old, you know there's going to be more maintenance required than if you buy a brand new car. Perfect so, example. And, and honestly, uh, patients get it. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, we work hard with everyone in our office in the same thought. And uh, to your point, no one no one ever refutes it. I mean, every once in a while. But, I mean, they we would argue that they don't make great patients anyways. But, I mean, they basically everybody's on board for, for that. And that's what they want, actually. That's the other thing. <laughs> Uh, I still get adjusted a couple times a month. I have a bunch of great chiropractors. Whoever's available, I'll send a text out. Can one of you adjust me? And whoever has an opening, I get them. And I don't know. I'm a responder. I, I like to get adjusted. I feel better. I do better. Uh, it helps that my docs in my office are fantastic. I admit that that is helpful. But why don't they fix me? Now, you, I know you're thinking because you're an old... <laughs> I know you're going to no say we'll, <laughs> we're not jumping yeah, wait a uh, well but no one's fixed me yet for God's sake but I'm still going strong at 62 so the hell with it that's exactly right well and then uh, maybe let's switch gears just a little bit as we kind of conclude here uh, so systems is something you've lectured on for ever since I've known you it's something that you're going to lecture on today I know so if you were let's say a, a young doc uh, maybe you're an associate. I'll just selfishly on my part. What systems would you want or do you want your uh, associates to be adding into their daily lives that can make an effect on patient care, filling their schedules, making more money, et cetera, et cetera? I always talk about uh, uh, the first thing you need to do is there's only three things you need to do. You ever hear that uh, keep the main thing the main thing? Mm -hmm. Well, the main thing when you're starting out and you're, uh, say you're new in practice, what are the three things that you should be doing? You should be in there treating a patient. You should be figuring out your marketing plan for how you're going to build your practice. And third, you need to have your uh, efficiency of your systems in your office so strong that if tomorrow you got 25 new patients, you could process and handle those 25 new patients. And the stupid joke, not haha -ha joke, but I always say, and you've all heard this, uh, is 
you know, Dr. Smith, if you get 25 new patients next, next week, can you handle it? And they'll say, well, no. And my thing is, don't worry, you won't get them. <laughs> if you can't handle them, they won't, the universe knows you can't handle it. They will not send them. So if you are agonizing over every new patient that comes in because you don't know how to handle it, then they won't come in. So how efficient are you at your examination? Can you do a really good exam in a, in a short period of time? Uh, is your office set up properly so that the health history is done thoroughly and if very time efficiently so that you have a good grasp of what's going on? Uh, you know, we, we have a good intake form and then I ask questions on top of that, but we can do it quickly. So I would work on those three things, be with the patient, do your marketing, and work on your systems mm -hmm. for how you can effectively process a new patient and get them on a care plan and, and get, uh, go from there. Even my uh, report of findings is systematized. What am I doing? You're in a category. Get on the table, I can help you. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know, bad stuff, like some horrible thing that I don't treat. Is it a, a mobility problem? Do you need to be adjusted and stretched? Is it a stability problem? Do you need more rehab? Is it a biochemistry problem? Do you need more nutrition? Is it something else? Put them in the category. I know lot, most of your patients are going to fit into more than one category, but narrow it down so then you do the proper treatment. I, I harp on that a lot too. It's funny talking to you two guys because you've heard a lot of my stuff uh, that I talk about all the time, and, and I know I, I repeat it a lot, but a lot of the people listening to this haven't heard my uh, themes your stick my stick that uh, what's important to build that big practice and i'm telling you you can do it i'm telling you that that you can even the thing where it's like well uh, you pick on cory campbell like if you know cory campbell the dude is a freakishly good athlete super smart but freakishly good athlete like a college football player state champion wrestler like the dude is can he can just kind of do anything when it comes from to a psychomotor skill standpoint also, um, also super smart, but you, he still has to have his systems in place. He still has to, um, he still has to be able to have some way to make it flow. So real quick, I, uh, I think you guys use, still use ChiroTouch mm -hmm. in your office. Yep. Not that I'm a ChiroTouch fan, but I use it too, and it's what we've used for a long time. My ChiroTouch flow flows with my exam sheet, which flows with my exam. My exam is systematized. I go from standing, you know, gait, you know, I'm sorry, posture to gait to standing movements, sitting, prone, supine, side, seated, done. I don't keep changing position. Everything keeps going back to, to a, uh, a flow so that, so that it flows. What I was saying about Corey, that would come back, I know we're running out of time, but Corey's frequently uh, athletic. He can learn to do any adjustment. He's just good at it, right? You don't have to be Corey Campbell. You don't have to be the best athlete in, in the world of chiropractic. Everybody can become plenty adequate at adjusting. With drop tables, with soft tissue work, you can get the job done. So if you think, oh, well, I'm not going to be as good an adjuster as Corey Campbell. So what? You can be close, and then you can, be, you can do these other things to help that along. So don't feel like you can't do that. Um, if, if, if anyone's out there kind of lacking confidence to learn how to do it, you can do it. Uh, you just don't ha you don't have to be the absolute best on the planet to really get the job done with your patient. I, I keep taking a long time to say that uh, simple part. things. No, I love it. I think I, I would just finish that with, and if you are having some confidence stuff, maybe you've regressed a little bit in your first couple of years in practice. I know it's healthy for me to get some feedback from Brad every once in a while. Go to the Motion Palpation Institute class. Come to Adjustathon. Like, 
come to these things to get some check. You know, it can be a little bit of an ego check to come with a room full of students and maybe see a couple of students adjusting better than you. But, you know, just take that in stride and, and learn from the people around you and get a little boost. And next thing you know, you're going to take that next step. So. You've got to jump in. I took that, uh, I mentioned that ART class and I was with people and they had a, I, you know, they knew I was involved with MPI and I, I, I could feel there was a little bit of a, an attitude, but I just jumped in. It's like, oh, how do you do that muscle? What pronator teres? Let's, you know, whatever it was. And so just have the enthusiasm. Like, I don't know everything. I'm telling you, if you took an MPI class, you would be amazed at the simple little things that you pick up. So um, someone in practice might only pick up a few things. But that's all, you know, that's all you're going to get at this point in your career if you've been practicing for 10 years. You're going to pick up a few things, refine a few things, and then take it, and you'll be a better doc on Monday. Mm-hmm. I know one thing all three of us are super excited for is something coming up in uh, end of October. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. There's a big gate class we're doing in St. Louis end of October. Uh, Dr. Winchester is going to teach, Dr. Mishad. Uh, Gary Gray is going to be there. And uh, so it's not going to be focused on that's not going to be focused on palpate and adjust. That's going to be a, a gate in a in a bigger picture. And and uh, if you want to talk about that a little bit, Brad, I'd love for you to uh, explain a little bit more about what's going on. Not that I'm suddenly the one doing the interviewing here, but <laughs> no, I just think you know, obviously Tom's always amazing. We pulled him out of his basement a couple of years ago, and uh, fascinating man, man. Oh, just fascinating, gosh, just unbelievable. And then I think also chiropractors really just don't know who Gary Gray even is. Like when I was a student, he was, you know, that was one of the the people that we really looked up to from a rehab standpoint. Sure, sure. And then I don't know, you know, just the competition with DNS, other things, like we kind of, you know, never talked about it forever, but he is a wealth of knowledge and literally his nickname in physical therapy is the father of function. I mean, he is an absolute superstar. And uh, he actually has a manual side to his whole thing called functional manual reaction, which I think is just, so underrated. I'm sure he's going to go over that. And I think, uh, I think, you know, just I'll obviously do the DNS part, but to have those two together, I think is going to be really fascinating because uh, they both know who each other are and, you know, just haven't met or been in the, that stage. And uh, Gary Gray, I mean, he really hasn't done a uh, conference like this before with chiropractors. So it's and, and very Thomas Michaud, I mean, just if you want to have, talk to somebody who's, let's just say he's up on the literature. <laughs> It's just fascinating because, and that's always, that's been my favorite book for forever now, the human locomotion book. And I'm just, I've been obsessed with it for years now and I've read it and reread it and read it and reread it and, and just, just love it. And he is just fascinating for me to listen to. And I just enjoy even like when we have time, we go to dinner with him and so, just, just a great uh, person. And he's getting near the end of his practice years. So, uh, you know, get him while he's hot is what I would say. Yeah. That's right. Some other other exciting thing MPS go, go on, got going on right now is the Clinical Excellence Channel. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Give a plug for that. Yes, real quick. Uh, so we do a, uh, two or three uh, videos uh, or articles each month, and it's very inexpensive. I think it's thirty seven dollars a month, and you can log on, watch a video each month, and um, it's on a you know variety of uh, obviously a variety of topics. We, maybe we do shoulder impingement, or maybe we do patellofemoral syndrome, uh, wh- whatever it might be, greater trochanteric pain syndrome. Um, it's just, uh, the, the idea of it is it's what you can do in your office, but it's information that you can use again. I repeat on Monday morning, uh, with your patients. So it's a great way to reinforce some of the principles, uh, that you learn in an MPI class and, and so on. Uh, I need to talk one more thing. We, we mentioned early on about, um, the schools and what they do. I, I really think, uh, you know, that, uh, the schools do a great job. Uh, a lot of the schools are, are really great and, but I don't care what the school is. 
you still have to supplement what you learn in, in schools. And that's why these variety of classes are, so, are still so busy, not just MPI, but lots of the other classes, because if you don't supplement the what you learn in school, and again, I don't think that's a slight on the schools at all. There's no way they can teach everything to everybody every time. You still have to do the extra stuff. So that's going back to when we first started. That's good. Good little yeah. pickup. Well, I, I, I mean, I, we're 100% biased. I know all three of us. This is the reason that I'm here in this position doing this podcast because the Motion Palpation Institute. Brett, you'd say the same thing. Yeah. And uh, so we're, we're thankful for your leadership, Mark. Um, uh, I'm thankful for mentorship from the both of you, and I'm thankful for all the people that I've met along the way. I mean, that is, uh, that's what I truly treasure is all the awesome people that I've met through the MPI culture and the family, and uh, they're my best friends and, and family. And so oh, that's yeah. pretty damn cool. Yeah, we, uh, I'm with you on that. I mean, I, I had a great dad growing up, but my chiropractic dad is definitely Mark. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I mean, he basically paved the way for me. Anything that I've basically done has been originally because of uh, the Motion Palpation Institute and just the lineage that is created like in the last, I think, you know, 20, 25 years is just insane because all the leaders in our profession, I feel like, have come through uh, MPI. So that's got to be a good feeling, I would think. Well, it is. And I, I think Dr. Fay, you know, said it so many times, you know, you just keep learning and keep growing. MPI is what it is today. It'll be different in five years, 10 years, 20 years. And these people that come through and then maybe they, like you you teach for for uh, the Prague School, you know, the DNS uh, classes that you teach, um, for example. Um, th that's just so cool to me uh, th that we've, you've expanded and, and done all these other things um, and it's it, it's it, it's fascinating to watch these guys come through MPI and then and grow from there. And we, if you continue to learn, yeah, that's 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 the evolution. We've been lucky enough to go to Parker Las Vegas Parker. Yes, Las yeah, Vegas. love it. And it's funny because every time we're there, it's like an MPI uh, family reunion. You know, all these people that have, <laughs> yeah. that have been through the MPI are now teaching on these huge stages, and that's well, Dr. Cool. Morgan. Let's face it, the guy is he's the real deal, and uh, and he wants to have that what what's what's up to date he wants it there so in yeah. and, and so i would give a plug for parker and i would give a plug for cleveland we're in kansas city right now and dr cleveland has really been a, a supporter of ours and, and and that has been very appreciated uh with him also absolutely superstar we'll be on campus tomorrow so uh if you guys haven't checked out an mpi seminar go to motionpalpation.org uh Check out the gate course at the end of October. It will be worth the price of admission for sure. So uh, if you don't know who Gary Gray is too, we were lucky enough to have him on our podcast. And uh, we talked about his whole system and uh, really got to down to the nuts and the bolts with him. And it was really, really amazing. Really so, fun guy too. Really yeah. fun. So yeah. uh, we'll be there. It'll be in our backyard in St. Louis. And uh, I know we're super excited, but uh, we got some business to attend to now. So uh, Mark, thanks for sitting down with us. Thanks for everything you do for us. I love, always love talking with you guys. Rock and roll. We'll do it again sometime soon, all right? All right thanks. All right, guys. Good luck with patience. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gasol Education Show. Uh, if you liked it, share it, subscribe to it, uh, send it to your friends, send it to someone that needs to hear this message. Uh, we really want everyone to be able to, to tune in and, and get the, the best clinical advice that they can, which uh, we're hoping that we're giving to you with these special guests. So um, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us. Or if you have any suggestions on upcoming uh, conversations, let us know. Uh, for a list of our upcoming courses, we're adding them all the dang time. So go to gestaltedu.com, click on courses, and they'll all be right there for you. All right, have a good day.